0: Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. Today I'd like to talk about social sphere koans. In a nutshell, what this is, is we take the idea or the technique of the koan, and then we apply it to the social sphere. And there's a lot of different facets to this. There are a lot of things that need to be understood. And this is a, a bit of a Doster invention. It's an experimental kind of contemplative idea or technique. And we're going to go through some specific koans which apply to the social sphere and apply to your relationship to the people in your life. And with enough of these, with enough examples, you can create your own. You can get up, off and away and work out what sort of direction you can take. Now there's something to be understood with this which is there is a very clear difference between your inner world what it's like to be you and the social sphere. And here we want to make that difference absolutely clear because what we're doing with social sphere koans is where exploring the connection between your personal, subjective, private experience of life and interacting with people, with other people. Now, when it comes to the social sphere... And being in the same room, in the same situation, in close proximity to a real-life living human being, that is an experience, that is a moment, which has its own approaches, it has its own, I feel to say laws, but I don't want to say laws, It has to be treated in its own way. And the way you treat that is completely different to how you treat your private time, your private inner world. And in the case of these social sphere koans, many of them can be applied to both of these situations. And really what I'm The emphasis in this is is your own private contemplation. It's what happens when you're alone, which is related to the social sphere. So I feel there's a lot to go through and there's a lot of ins and outs, but let me just give at least a little bit of an introduction to these two things, which is that when you are in the social sphere, when you're talking to someone, that situation is spontaneous. That situation takes flow. For that to run smoothly, you want to have an openness. You want to have a spontaneity. And you don't want to be overthinking. When you overthink in that situation, it shuts things down. Of course, you want to be aware of yourself, aware of how you feel. Aware of what you're experiencing. Aware of what sort of tensions or impressions are being made on you. But really, trying to figure out what's going on in that situation, when there is a conversation or a something or whatever, an exchange happening between two or more people, trying to figure it out at the time is impossible. And you don't want to be figuring it out. You don't want to be explaining it. You don't want to be understanding it. You want to allow it to be open and just let it be what it is and be comfortable knowing that there's all these complexes and these dynamics and these hidden energies and these different lines and squiggles and lightning bolts and colors and all this abstract crazy stuff going on during an interaction between two human beings, but you can't deal with any of that. So that's the social sphere. And then we have this thing that happens when you're alone. This thing that happens when there is no one around. And that is that this encounter with another person comes up and you think, well, how do I make sense of this? What was going on there? And that's very different because you can put dynamic things on to your contemplation or have these principles which make it so that you have better or worse explanations for what happened. So if we look at this with a little bit of a Eye for evolutionary psychology, the story goes like this. Our little chimpanzee, or our Neanderthal, or our monkey, whoever you want to visualize, is born into this family. And the whole life he spends in this family. And this family is friends with other close families. And there's a little bit of a tribe. And little chimp, little Neanderthal, grows up with his brothers and sisters, his cousins, his friends, and the friends that his family have, and that his parents have, and so on. And he knows their names and he knows how they act. And more or less, he understands where everyone sits. He knows who's the Papa Neanderthal and who's the Mama Neanderthal. And who's the hunter Neanderthal? He knows about the hierarchy. He knows about the jobs. He knows how to talk or not talk or when to talk. And he learns to be socialized. He becomes socialized. And that's a gradual process, which happens as he grows. And he goes into this tribe, this chimpanzee pack. I don't know what the word for collective chimps are, I don't know, is it civilization, maybe? I don't know. A Google search would answer that. But then let's say this tribe of chimps encounters another tribe. Now you've got a whole bunch of chimps, which all have to work out all again from scratch in a very quick amount of time, how to treat and the Complexes of all the others in this other tribe. In most cases, in early evolutionary history, that would result in war, that would result in conflict. Because there's so much fear and there's so much complexity, there's so much as to how do I talk, what do I say, are they going to hurt me, what's going to happen, where are they from, what are their capabilities. All this explodes into the minds of the chimps, and they say, well, it's just safer that I kill you. It's safer that I hurt you before you get the chance to hurt me. Now, in that shock of one tribe meeting another, and the explosion of how do I make sense of the interactions between all of these chimps, in that is the blueprint or the root of social encounters and of course in this modern age hundreds of thousands of years later we experience the exact same thing but on a far more complex level because we don't just have one tribe encountering another tribe we now have entire cultures encountering each other. And for now, I'd like to leave aside the current technological situation that we're in. Communicating and encountering people online and communicating through technology is a different game. Here for today, we want to just keep this picture in our mind of real face-to-face interactions on one hand and... Total solitude and private meditation or contemplation on the other. And if you can understand those two, then, well, partly your online interaction and your understanding and your relations will change and your actions will change. But there are also specific things that we can say, specific principles that go with what it means to encounter someone online and how that's different to encountering them face-to-face. And really, with online communication, that's how the line gets blurred because you're sitting in your room or you're sitting somewhere and you're completely alone. You're by yourself. No one's watching you. No one's paying you any attention. No one really knows what you're doing. And yet you have something coming at you. You have this person, either their beliefs or their words or whatever. There's some aspect of them coming at you over this device, whatever this technological device is. They're communicating with you. So the line gets blurred in that scenario. And here we want to unblur those lines. We want to be clear about that. So you'll notice, if you haven't yet already noticed, that everyone has this thing in them which tries to make sense, just like the chimpanzee grows up trying to make sense of who's the cousin and who's the papa chimp. They all have this thing in them. We all have it in us. And in any new or even any old social situation, you walk into the room and there's this thing that clicks in in the mind which gets to work to making sense of who fits where in what relation and how should I act. It's the socializing muscle in the mind. And there's an entire spectrum of depths and awareness to that in everyone and it might be the case that some people it might be someone you you might be the sort of person that walks in and it doesn't matter it's not necessarily a active oh i must put everyone into pigeonholes it's actually a relaxed or indifference or just a sort of apathy or a who cares But even when someone is closed or someone doesn't do much of the how-do-I-understand-this-situation sort of effort in their mind, even that is a response to the social sphere. And with social sphere koans, and well, there's, there's the apathy on one side, and then on the other side there's the, there's the socially anxious. Now, when you're socially anxious... You do the opposite, you overthink, and you really, really try hard. Or oh, who, who does what, and what did they mean by that? what they said? And should I have said that to them, or I shouldn't have said that to them? And this mess in the mind, this, these tangles that open up, well, that maybe we can put that into a spectrum. You can say there's the neurotic, socially anxious on one side, and then the indifferent, sort of closed, passive, apathy on the other. And there's a whole range in there. And that range wouldn't, that spectrum wouldn't just be a left and right spectrum. It would be a multidimensional spectrum with multiple variables. Multiple axioms. But when we talk about these social sphere koans, What we do is we say, okay, so we have this thing in us, which is trying to make sense of things. So let's work with it. Let's say, okay, I do need to say something about my relationships. Where do we begin? And these questions, these koans, lead you into that territory and they open up this territory now there is another thing to understand which i sort of hinted at with which i'm hinting at with having this difference between being in a social situation and being alone which is that you have to be careful with this idea that contemplating a social sphere koan will change your relationship to someone? How will it change how I talk to that person? How will it change that I relate or feel about that person? And that's a tricky game. That's a a complex game to understand. Because remember, when you're face-to-face with someone, you're being spontaneous. You're being natural. You're having things flow. And when you're alone and you're considering that person, you're being con- contemplative, you're being thoughtful, you're being deep. And philosophy, psychology, and even meditation and contemplation, all these things, they are not a direct connection to your social sphere skills or your social sphere experiencing it's an indirect connection so understand that there's a complex of things that happen between contemplating someone and changing your relationship with them and really if you want to if you want to be absolutely good at socializing or that that situation of being with other people you will do techniques and processes which are designed for that and they are done in that situation where you actually are doing it in a group with certain people and you're saying certain things. That's the direct way. That's the direct techniques. So here we're talking about social sphere koans more as to how does it sit within you how does it feel within you, the people in your life? And just just consider this. Consider, consider you're alone and you're taking time out. And maybe it's such that you have a lot of time alone at the moment. And if that's the case, this is a, this is a good opportunity. This is a good thing to do. This is a chance to go into this. And you just sit back and you think, You just try and picture all the people in your life. All the people you've ever met. All the friends you've ever worked with. All the people you've known. All the people you've talked to. All the situations you've been in the crowd or in the room with others. All the conversations you've had. And that's such a large picture. There's so much there. It might be that you have to break it down into chapters of your life when you had this certain job or this certain community or that period of life where you had this certain school or this certain study or where you were living with these certain people or you were doing these certain things. And you can break down these chapters in your life where For each chapter, you were regularly interacting with certain people. And then something changed, and then you no longer interacted so much with them. Now, out of that entire spectrum, out of that huge mass of people, there are people who impressed on you or had an imprint on you more than others. And they imprinted on you in many ways. They imprinted emotionally or psychologically or experientially. They may have put certain conditions on you. Then we get into, if we go back far enough, we get into your family conditioning. Your cultural background. But there's a range there of people that really stood out and people that sort of passed you by. And if you have enough insight or enough vision to look into these people in your life, you can find that they are a part of you. They are a part of your current composition. And it can be as simple and as obvious as you've picked up some of their mannerisms. Certain hand gestures. Certain ways of speaking. Certain turns of phrases. Certain tones of voice. Certain words that you use. And there are certain emotional reactions you have. When that person gets angry, they say, Well, this this is something to be angry at. We do learn anger. Or this is something to be admired. And this happens in a very subtle way, and it goes much deeper than just mannerisms and words and even emotions. Because it goes into beliefs. It They seep in... And that connection is seamless. If you look into how they are a part of you, it's seamless. It's hard to draw the line where you stop and they start. And of course, there are certain things where you say, yes, I did get this from so-and-so. This is where I got this from that person. And then there's a bunch of things which you don't know that you did get them from them. And you can find those things if you inquire, if you think about it through, if you really understand that person and your relation to them, you can find them. And then there's also the category of the things which you can't find, the things that are beyond your vision. And it's not only unaware to you, but it's also unaware to the people who, who were influencing you. So don't think this whole world is all about, oh, how are we influencing these people? How do I impress upon these people? It's actually very rare that anyone overtly says, I'm here to put an influence on you. I've found in my life. It's also very rare that I think anyone would Say, oh, I'm here to have an influence on someone, but not tell them. No, I think most of the time we're all connected. And we are all seamlessly joined in these vast, complex, deep and almost sort of mystical ways without really knowing it, without really knowing how. And we've all heard this meme of this catchphrase of we are all one, We're all the same people, we're all in the same boat, we're all under the same sun. But these social sphere koans are a way to discover where those joins lie and where the significance of those joins, those connections lie. So if you don't know what a koan is, I'm assuming you have known, you do know what a koan is, let me remind you again, or we can just say what what we mean by the koan here today. It could have many meanings, but for the purposes of this conversation, a koan is a phrase, or a story, or a question, or a little thing, a little snippet, which you sit down and you contemplate. And this comes from Zen meditation practice. and the Zen student walks in, sits down, and the master gives them a Koan. It Could be something simple like, "Where is home?" or "Who am I?" Well, some of those are <laughs> they're actually some of the more advanced Koans. But the Zen master will give that to the student and then say, now go away and contemplate it for three months. And after three months, the student will come back and the student will say, well, here's my answer. <laughs> and the, the Zen master will hit him on the head and say, not good enough. Go back and go back and study it again. Think it through again or feel it through again for another three months. And it's not just a contemplative mind thing. It's not just thoughts and words. It's also experiential. How do you feel the answer to the question, where is home? How do you experience? And if if you ask yourself this question over and over again, and you're sincere about it, where is home, where is home? Well, then you do get deeper experientially, because you start with the words, you start with the ideas, and then you move into your emotions and then into your feelings, and then into your being, and into your experience. When boundaries dissolve, and things open up, and words become abstract, they become fluffy, and your experiences expand. And that's a thread, it's a technique, it's a koan. So here we're doing this question that you carry with you and you ask it over and over again as a way of making sense of your interactions and your connections with the people in your life so i've got about i've got about 6 or 7 of them and well, i suppose the next thing to do is to go through them don't know if I've missed any important principles. If there's anything I've missed so far, and I remember, (laughs) we'll bring it up again. I'll remind you as we go. Another thing I'll say is there's a difference between uh, friendship and enemies. So really, this social sphere koan, you can do it. You can do just the koan for every person in your life or each person, or you can just carry this one thing with you, and each time a person comes to mind, you ask that question. Or you can just stay with one person. You can say, okay, I'm going to work with this one person. And this means sitting quietly with your eyes closed, not doing anything, and then purposely calling up this person. And really getting in touch with what is it like to experience this person. And even that in and of itself can tell a lot. You don't need a philosophical or a koan sort of question to do that. Just experiencing someone in solitude says so much. And if that's the case, if that's what you're doing, well, then you say, you ask yourself things like, well, what's it like to be around that person? What sort of memories do I have with that person? How do I act when I'm around that person? Do I act differently? Do I feel I can act naturally? What sort of tone of voice do I use? What sort of words or phrases do I use around that person? what sort of memories do I have? What, what happened, literally? In what situation were we? Why were we there? Who else was there? What were we doing? And what happened? What happened? What was the specifics of the internal narrative? And that's your internal narrative. And that narrative, that answer to the question, what happened, or the memory... That's malleable. That will change as you sit there and you recall this person. Were you authentic with what you said to this person? Did you say what you needed to say? Did you really express yourself fully? Did you feel like it was a deep relationship? Do you think it was a worthwhile relationship? Do you feel it was an impression that they had on your life which was positive? It was an influence on you which you are happy to have, which you are grateful for. So these are the sort of questions you can ask to enter into a single person and your relation to them. So here we go. I know I've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but I, here we go. Here we, here we go for number one. Social, social sphere koan number one. If you and me were the same age... Do you know how the different ages of the people in your life affect you? Do you notice that there's a whole range of people in your life of all different ages? If you and me were the same age, would we have a different kind of respect towards each other? If you and me were the same age... Would there be something different? And what were you like when you were my age? And what was I like when I was your age? And how different friendships are when they're having different ages between them. Can you take someone in your life that is a very different age to you, and imagine, what was it, what would it be like if we were the same age? Could we even be friends? Or could we even relate in the way we do? It doesn't necessarily have to be a friendship. Friendship is just one form of relating. But age is a line of inquiry. And of course, more deeply than that, there, are, there is the calendar age for each person. But also, each person has an essence. And that essence is a different age. It's not necessarily the same age as their calendar age, or what we call their conventional age. And you can notice this. Most people don't get that deep. Most people say, hey, how old are you? When they meet someone. And then they put them into a pigeonhole. Oh, the, oh, you're this age, you must have done about this, or you've sort of done this. And this this thing of how old are you, the question when you're talking to someone, how old are you? And then the answer comes, and then the thing that immediately follows that, the pop, the thing, the picture that comes into mind, that's what you want to dissolve. That's what you want to inquire into, because there's something there. There's an ageism there. There's a parameter which is affecting your relationships. With people, which is unconscious. So, if you and me were the same age, answer that. What would happen if we were the same age? How would we be? How would we relate to each other if we were the same age? So here's another one. And this is to get at inquiring into location. Social sphere koan number two. If we had met somewhere else. Have you ever noticed how strange it is to... How rare and also how strange it is... To meet someone out of the context by which you know them. There's always something jarring. There's always something funny about that. Which means if it's a a friend from work and you see them outside of work, suddenly there's something different happening. Suddenly there's a different relation going on. If we had met somewhere else... If we had have met in different circumstances, in different circumstances, now what are what is the context, what is the environmental influence on the relationship between you and me? That's this question here. If we had met somewhere else, if we had have been in a different situation, or if we you can say, What if we went to a different situation? What if somehow we were deciding to up and move into something else? And it might be that your work friends, you decide, well, let's start going to the gym together. So that's a different situation. That's a different environment. And that can be cause for strengthening the relationship. It can be cause for now we're becoming good friends. We're becoming more than just work buddies. And it's up to you to really consider the environments that you're in, the situations that you're in, the different communities that you're in. Are there other things that you do In different environments, which you don't do in this one. Or are there things that you do in all environments? And maybe if we had have met in a different situation, we wouldn't have even had the connection that we had. And that's a way of acknowledging the chanceness or the unlikeliness. And sometimes it's funny to say that to a friend. It's just I. Like I don't know why, <laughs> I don't know why we are friends at all. If it hadn't have been for that one situation that we turned up in, then we wouldn't have been friends at all ever. But somehow we we did. And there's there's something very funny about that. There's a, there's an absurdity. There's an an absurdity in the relationships that we have. And this whole thing of the environment and our relationships, they're inseparable. How complex your understanding of it is and how you shine, how you view it, says something. And you can learn things about your relationships by inquiring into that. You might say, I would never have been someone to talk to you if we hadn't have been in this situation. I would never be friends with you. I don't really even want to be relating to you. And that would take a sincere inquiry. That would take an honest answer to the question, if we had have met somewhere else, fill in the blank. What would have happened if we'd met somewhere else? It might have been that we would have avoided each other. (laughs) It might have been that I would have despised you. I would have been quite disgusted by you. And it also depends on different times in your life. If I had have met you at a different time in my life, well, I might not have been ready. I might not have been open or I might not have been mature enough. I might not have been able to see what there is to learn from you or to at least relate to you. If it's not not strictly a learning, teaching sort of relationship. But even with my examples, with the examples that are coming to mind for me, you can populate them in many different ways. You can open them up in many different ways. That's why these are leading questions. So ask yourself, if we had have met somewhere else, and see what comes, and be open to what comes, and create your own derivatives of that question, which is what what would have happened if we'd met at a, different, at a different time in my life? What would have happened if we'd met in a different situation? And it's quite rare that that actually does happen in life. It's very funny when it does. <laughs> so, social sphere koan number three. If you were my child. Can you see that in everyone is a child? An adult is everything that they have been before. Now how dynamic that is. And how integrated it is, is up to the individual and their awareness. Some people can move back into their childhood or their adolescence or their other parts of their life or other things they have been very easily. And that's because they've integrated those parts of their life have integrated their experiences, their different ages. And it's even something to relate to someone's inner child. It's Actually, one of the ways you really connect strongly with someone is to re- play as children, to relate as children. We're just two kids having fun, even as adults. And this can happen into very, very. This happens in all ages. This even happens in the. It even happens more in the older people because there's a returning. There's this theme of things going full circle for the elderly. And it's possible to see an elderly man or an elderly woman, and you see the inner child very easily. They're very playful. They're very happy, and they're a bit cheeky. They're getting into some mischief. And you think, wow, I really like that that grandma or that old fellow. I don't know why, but there's something that just I just smile when I see them. And they look like they're having so much fun. Well, it could be that they've returned to their childhood. And what you're looking at is not an old fellow or grandma. But you're actually looking at a child. Now, this koan, if you were my child is not only how would I relate to someone as a child, but what is, what is this relation of the adult relating to the child, the father or the mother? Now, that's very different to two children relating to each other. You think, well, how do I care for you? How do I protect you? How do I wish what's best for you? And that's really the the question that is that's one of the derivatives of if you were my child, which is, how do I care for you sincerely? How do I relate to you with goodwill? And it's very hard to consider that, especially if you're using this koan for someone that's older than you, or someone that's senior to you, someone that's more powerful or has a influence over you and really normally it sees you see them as the older adult taking care of you and you can reverse it you can say what if if i was your child now the problem with that with reversing is it is you're now turning it onto more of their responsibility and there you're putting you you're shifting something onto them when you ask that and really, you want to keep it focused on yourself. Remember, this: the, all these koans are about your own experience of others. It's all about you. It's all up to you. And the interpretation, the significance, the quality of the experience of others in this conversation, in this technique, is entirely your responsibility. We're giving you the responsibility. We're empowering you. So to say, if I was your child, that's a little bit. You you can inquire a little bit, of course, experiment. But just remember that the responsibility is up to you. So how do you feel about children how do you feel about your children are they a pain in the butt <laughs> are they annoying do they encroach on you <laughs> how do you relate to children and imagine if you related to everyone like that imagine if you treat treated everyone as children and not in a and I don't mean in a belittling way I mean as in in a respectful way and you you can see this in some people that treat children as adults have you ever seen that it's not uncommon it's not unheard of many it happens i'm sure it happens at some point in all families in some way and in, and it's it's a very broad it's a sort of very broad observation so it's hard to say what fits and doesn't into, oh, the child is now being treated as an adult, because just like there's a child, now you notice this, this is quite strange to realize, but just like there's a child in every adult, there's actually an adult in every child. So you can activate that in a child. And we have this thing of, oh, children are children and I only know a few children in my life. But this koan, if you were my child, then takes that one little collection of ideas or ways of relating and spreads it across all the people in your life, or at least the person that you're contemplating now, the person that you've got in mind. So that's social sphere koan number three, if you were my child... There are, there are many derivatives. You can create your own derivatives. If you were my daughter, if you were my son, that has a lot of different answers to it, doesn't it? That's just a bit more specific. And if you were my child is also different to if you were a child. So there's, there's all these permutations. These, these are just permutations. These are just different ways around the same thing. They all come back to this basic. The, the, the basic form of it is if you were my child. So here we go for social sphere koan number four. And this is to do with... Deep memory. And we talked a little bit about this at the start with recalling someone. But here we can make it a specific koan and it goes like this. The things I remember about you from long ago are... And this is a free license to reminisce. This is a free license to tell a story, to share a memory. Now, when you're actually talking to someone, sometimes this comes up with an old friend. It's that thing of, oh, 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 do you remember that time we did this? Or do you remember when that did that? Or I remember when you did this. And that can be very funny. If you've shared some crazy times with your friends or with whoever, then (laughs) there can be lots of things that come up. And what's happening? Why does that happen? Why is it that when we get with an old friend, we start to reminisce? Well, it is that we're trying to acknowledge exactly what our relation is. And we're trying to acknowledge it in a deep way. We're trying to acknowledge, well... Wow, you and me have been through some stuff. Now, that's a big one. Now, that's a big statement. When you say something like that to someone, you and me have been through a lot. That is a declaration of a relationship which is deep. And the more you've been through, the more that statement means something. So, the things I remember about you from long ago. And this one, you can actually not only just contemplate it alone, and maybe even if, well, let's not run off to the others just yet, but you can use this as a conversation starter, or a kind of inquiry. And this is where the sort of solitude and social sphere starts to blur down, or blur, or the, the line gets to merge a little bit. Because you can use this as a, well, let's inquire, but inquire together in a conversation. You can say, "Well, what's the first thing? What's the what was your first impression of me? Or what's the longest ago memory you have of us together? What's the one thing you remember from back in the day that you and me did?" And you can ask these questions as a conversation. Now, conversation starters are another thing, and actually delving into specifics with a person face to face. Now that gets in. That's the we put those in the category of social sphere techniques, and there are probably better leading questions for one-on-one interactions or social sphere techniques than what we're talking about here. Here, these are koans which are designed for your inner contemplation, for doing alone. But just keep in mind that you can also experiment with doing this with someone. Social sphere koan number five. What was stopping us What was stopping us from being happy? What was stopping us from appreciating the moment? What was stopping us from saying what we need to say? What was stopping us from having fun? What was stopping us from having a laugh? And this acknowledges the missed opportunities... This acknowledges there's a hurt. There's a lot of hurt behind this one. This one can open up a lot of pain. This one, what was stopping us? There's regret there. Because what's stopping you is the cause of your fears. It's, it gets into your fears. It gets into your anxiety. And it identifies the options you have now. It identifies what you stop what stops you now. What you what are you going to regret that you do now? And if you really go into an old relationship and you ask yourself, what was stopping us from, from whatever, from having a magnificent relationship, and you really feel that regret, you can transmute that regret into a resolve which is that I won't waste my time being inauthentic. And this does sound so serious. It does sound, uh, and this one really is, in a sense, it's quite dark. Like regret is, is a dark place to go. And, and it's not always these sort of inner world adventures, we can say, all these things that we go off on into inside ourselves. They're not always pretty. You do have to face the inner demons, When we say something like, oh, you have to face your inner demons, you can say, well, how? What does that mean? Well, this is one of them. You say, what was stopping us from? And the positive thing about this question, what was stopping us, is that it proves you believe things could have been better. It proves that you had an ideal or a picture which was better than how things were. And that is an important thing to have in a relationship. When you're thinking about someone and you say, you know, things could be better between us. Well, that's a big can of worms. There's a lot of complexes opening up in my mind now when I say that. Things could be better between us. When you get into that territory, you get into well, what's my expectation of this person? What am I expecting? What am I trying to get them to do? What do I think they should be doing for themselves? What do I think is good for them? What do I want from them? How should they be treating me? What's what's stopping you? So you see, this kind is is word word. The wording is, what's stopping us from? But you can also do derivatives, which was, what was stopping me? And what was stopping you? And what is stopping you? What is stopping me? What's stopping me right now? And that's such a simple question, really. It's so so basic. What is stopping you? It seems like... It seems quite shallow, in a sense, to ask that. It doesn't really open up much because it's such a cliché. It's so bland. What's stopping you? You could say, well, fear is stopping me. Or regret is stopping me. Or my social anxiety is stopping me. Question answered. But when you do this as a koan, when you do this as a contemplation, and you actually go into what? is stopping me and you feel it not only mentally or emotionally but experientially then you start to make some way you make way into yourself you make way into changing how things are within you what was stopping us from having a good time What was stopping us from just being light-hearted? We do get so serious, don't we? We get very dark. (laughs) This is all very serious social sphere koans, contemplation, facing inner demons, yes. What was stopping us from having a laugh? (laughs) What was stopping us from enjoying the moment? What was stopping us from appreciating each other? What was stopping us from just relaxing? And there's so many different ways you can finish that koan off. And there's so many different answers that can come up. Well, I was afraid to tell you something. I was afraid you you might not like a part of me. We were afraid to show our true selves because we know deep down there are things that we're not proud of. We have a fear of rejection. We have a fear of being alone. We can say, well, I, my fear stopped me. You can expand my fear stopped me and do permutations on that. Well, fear of what? Fear of being sad. Fear of not fe- feeling close to someone. Fear of wasting your inner beauty. Fear of sh- fear of sharing your inner beauty and then it's not appreciated. Fear of sharing your joy and then it's belittled. You know what that's like? Do you know what that's like to be playful and joyful and happy and really positive and to be actually authentically, and not not in a superficial way, but in a really authentic inner light, inner beauty sort of way, and you share that with someone, and they just knock it down. And they make fun of you. They really put you to shame for it. Now that that is a cause for fear. That is a very complex dynamic. And so when... Now here, you see... We're talking through this dynamic. But now, because we've asked this question, what was stopping us? And you've realized this, or I've realized this, in me. I can now identify and I can see when that's happening. I can notice how I feel about that. And if I say, well, I feel really bad when I share my inner light and people talk down to me for it. Well, then that's something that I can learn. I can learn to say, well, does that... Now, now, what are the implications? Does that mean I don't share my inner light? Or does that mean I keep sharing my inner light and understand that people won't understand? Or be more ready for people to have all sorts of different responses to it? And maybe I need more maturity in how I express myself and how I respond to their responses. And this is this back and forth between my reaction, what I think, what I do, how it's going to condition my future relationships. This back and forth, this in and out. This is the inner contemplation of social sphere koans. And this has all come up for me now from asking this question. What was stopping us? Social Sphere Koan number six. What hasn't changed? Have you ever met someone from back in the day? (laughs) And you just sort of shake your head and you say, No, he hasn't changed. Nope, he's the same old, same old. Up, nope, nothing's changed. Up, oh, she's as she's the way as she's always been. <laughs> well, that's that's a judgment of a person, and that's a summary of a person. You now, people are more complex than. Oh, do they change or not change? But that's exactly why we turn this into a koan. This is exactly why we say, "What hasn't changed." And we do it as a cone which means we ask it over and over again. And we ask again and we ask again. What hasn't changed? And we can ask it, ask it for multiple people. Because there's an assumption in this question. There is an assumption, which is that there is something that hasn't changed. And maybe that's part of your line of inquiry. It can be one of your permutations, which is, what hasn't changed? And you say, well, nothing's changed This is the same, this is the same, this is the same. You still talk this way, you still act this way, you still have these habits. You're still dating these sorts of people. You're still hanging around with these sorts of people. You're still doing these sorts of jobs. You've still got these sorts of ideas. And this permutation, well, this is very much a, a judgment kind of angle to it that we've slipped into at the moment. Really, if we were to extend this into its permutations, we'd say, what hasn't changed in you and what hasn't changed in me? And then if we're doing this as a social sphere, koan, we'd say, what hasn't changed between us? So it has to apply to both of us, to our relationship, which means what are the same old things we do? What are the same old things we talk about? And you can say, well, what has changed? And that's a good way of finding out how much you've been through with someone. And what hasn't changed is a good way of finding out what's been consistent. What is the root of this relationship? And for some people, well, this is... This is a very profound answer. So brace yourself for this one. This is a big one. And this is a very rare this is a very rare answer. And whenever this happens authentically it's a, very, it's, a it's an atomic bomb going off. And this is when someone says what's changed? And they say, nothing's changed. I still love you. I've loved you all this time. Now that can be done in an inauthentic way as well. There are many levels of purity to love. And it can be that people are saying, Oh, I, so, someone is saying, Oh, I still love you, I still love you. When really there are these complexes they're unaware of, or these motives, or these tangles, or these strings that are pulling at them, which are not so attractive, or not so pure, not so holy. So love is not always something that's spoken about in a pure form. Love is. Well, love is vast. Love is quite grand, and love can really lo- love is really s- separate to what we're working on here. Love might be a, a revelation or an insight that comes up through these, but here we're really we're really just inquiring. You you could turn love into a koan. You could say you, you could say. Have I loved you? Or have, have we loved each other as much as we could have? Have we loved each other deeply? And you can create a, a koan out of that. You could create a line of inquiry out of that. But these, this idea, this just came from what hasn't changed. The koan, what hasn't changed? and all its permutations, what has changed? Have you changed or have I changed? What hasn't changed in me? What has changed? And that's very broad. It's very... You Do, do, do this with just one person. If you can do this deeply with just one person, how, how has one person changed? Pick someone in your life and really think it through. How have they changed? And you'll find that by going through that process, then the the answers you come and the insights that the answers you come up with and the insights that happen during that process, that will spill over into other feelings or how you feel about other people, your relation to other people. And really that's one of the that's one of the things that comes up because there are strings that, oh, sorry, they're not strings. Let's say there are like these scripts and there are these, these words that you, or these phrases which you apply. And you'll find that certain phrases go on to the, your relation with all sorts of people. You're saying a certain thing about one person, but you're also saying the exact same thing about another person. And then you're saying the exact same thing about another person. So noticing repetitive scripts and the same answers that come up is an insight that occurs throughout this process. Because you might be doing the same koan a few different times with different people. And then you'll notice, well, there are, there are answers to these which apply to multiple people. And that's just something that gets into the complexes of how you relate to people and how you feel about the people in your life. So, Social Sphere Koan number seven. If this is the last time I see you. So you know that moment in the movies when it's like the final battle or it's the final showdown between good and evil and the bad guy and the good guy are coming to the end and they're coming to a head and it's the con confrontation which is really going to decide the fate of them both, or they're going off to the war, and they're saying goodbye to their friends, or they, their friends know they're going into it. There's something very emotional, very grave about that. And there's a reason why that's put into the movies. That's why the, these movies are profound. It's the profound part of the story. And it's, well, you might not ever see the hero ever again. And he's saying goodbye to his loved one or he or she. Saying goodbye to their family. And it's very solemn. It's like, I have to do my job or I have to do my duty. This sort of thing. And you can use that. You can imprint that uh, seriousness or that solemnness, the graveness, onto your own relationships. Now, of course, these situations do come up in life, very rarely, where well, you think now maybe this is the last time I'll see this person. It's actually, it's very rare. It's it's. I mean, we we see people for the last time without knowing, but there are times when we see people for the last time and we do know it's the last time we'll see them. And really, what what can you say? That, that's such a... Like, what can you say in that situation? And, and we're, now, we're, we're approaching this before it even happens. We're contemplating this as a technique, as a way of opening up our relation with someone. So you take someone and you imagine, well, you don't need to imagine any certain situation. You don't have to imagine, oh, well, they've got a terminal illness and I have to say goodbye. I mean, you can. Maybe that can be part of this. But you ask yourself, what would I say to you? What would be the last conversation we have? How would we talk? What would I want to acknowledge between us? What would I want to say? And it seems very sobering. It seems very... Very much like that reveals a lot about your relationship with someone. It's really an excuse to talk from the heart. It's an excuse to be heartfelt. If this is the last time I see you, this is what I feel to say. Now, in the case of bringing this up as a a conversation starter... (laughs) It's a bit. You can see how it doesn't really work as a conversation starter, and there are certain times where it's not appropriate. I mean, if you're if you're working it as an awareness technique, you can, and the other person is sort of savvy to this or they're hip to it, and you explain what's going on. You say, "Well, now this is a line of inquiry that we can do together," then that's one thing. But to bring to bring it up and say, "Now, if this is the last time I see you," there's something that doesn't fit there there's something that doesn't work so (laughs) the the seriousness of a situation each situation has a certain amount of uh it it has its emotional profile or its energetic profile which is appropriate and if you're doing if you're pulling this on someone then there will be something very jarring like (laughs) if this is the last time i see you i love you uh dosta i'm just going down the I'm just going down to the shops to get some milk. Do you need anything? <laughs> oh, that's a I don't know if we see but now what i'm now what's coming to mind for me is there's a line of inquire into inquiry into intensity now when we say in live intensely, is that what it means live as if Every breath is our last. Somehow I don't think so. Somehow I don't think that's what intensity is. (laughs) It seems like, it seems too narrow a version of what living intensely or living, like living authentically. (laughs) But this is, this is why we do it alone. This is why we do it as a social sphere koan, because we can use that. Whatever is in that of the last time you see someone, to open things up within you. And the more clearly you imagine that, really go into this situation now. Where would you be? The last time that you see someone. This specific bring bring a specific person to mind. And of course, it would be. A different outcome, whether you both knew it would be the last time or not. So do your permutations. Do it so that you know. Here's a good one for you. You know that it will be the last time you see that person, but they don't know. What would you say? What could you say? When you know this is the last time you will see this person. But you can't tell them that. And they don't know that. Well, you'd want to say something heartfelt. And not only that, you'd want them to feel that you're saying something heartfelt. You'd want them to remember what you say to them. And also you wouldn't want to scare them off. You wouldn't want to, you'd have to approach it delicately. You couldn't just say, hey, now listen. Well, maybe you could. Maybe you could just say, now listen, I have something very important to say to you. And that's that's another that's sort of like another permutation is what's something very important to say to someone? What is very important that someone Knows that what is that thing that is very important someone knows about you and is specific to you and them and this one relationship that you have with them? And it doesn't have to be that everyone knows this about you. You might say, well, for my close friends, it's very important that they understand something significant has happened to me. And that actually is the case for me personally. That is the case for Dosta. It is very important that if you are friends with me, you know that I went overseas and a whole bunch of crazy stuff happened. And I came back with a new name, with a new perspective, with a new experience of reality it's very important to me that you understand that that was very profound. And it's shaped my entire being. And it shapes every moment of every waking second of who I am. And it's very important that you understand that. And if this is the last time I see you, then I want you to know that I found my way home. That I found my peace. I found my joy. I found deep ecstasy. And I wish that for you too. I've always wished that for you. And I might not be very good at communicating it. Might not be very comfortable with saying it. But at least now, if this is the last thing I say to you, if this is the last time we talk, then I want you to understand that there's a tremendous beauty. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Dosta. I'm just going down to the shops for some milk. <laughs> and we can have a laugh. <laughs> so how do, how, do, how do words show depth in a normal way of talking? That's another question that comes to mind. And it's so funny how this, this one question, if this is the last time I see you, can open up so much. And imagining this is different to I mean there's there's a whole range of circumstances where you might not see someone again. It's not just that they're going to die. It might be that you're just not going to see them again. So it's not it's not strictly a it's not strictly a oh imagine someone is going to die or imagine you are going to die. And that that's another sort of that is a koan. Imagine your own deathbed. That is a line of inquiry that opens up your relationships, that can open up how you feel about the people in your life. Imagine you're going to die tomorrow. Imagine you're going to die right now and you're not going to be able to say anything. Well, this is a this is another interesting permutation. Imagine you're never going to speak to anyone ever again and now assess the relationships in your life. What was the last? So you can say, if this is the last time I see you, this is what I would say. And then you can say, well, what if I've already said the last things I'm going to say to you? What were things like the last time I saw you? Or this person or that person or whoever. The last time I saw you fill in the blank, dot, dot, dot. That can be another koan. Or another permutation on this so there's another koan which I'd like to share from you share with you and this is very simple but very profound and this comes from the the classic or high level koan who am i and it's quite simply this what are we? What are we? You know that funny story of of the guy that kisses a girl at the party and the next day he messages her and says, What are we? Does this mean we're you know what are we are we boyfriend, girlfriend? Are we just friends with benefits? Are we just oh are we just kissed and whatever? <laughs> what are we? Let's give it a name. Are we in a relationship? Please tell me we're in a relationship. <laughs> what are we? Oh, we're just friends. Or we're work colleagues. And it might be the the story of the, the kiss of the guy and the girl at the party. That aside, you can answer this question just like a ticket off. Oh, we're just friends. Or we're just work colleagues. Or we're just We're just two people trying to do this or trying to do that. But with a koan, you you ask yourself again. You ask yourself more deeply. And you say, well, do we have the same ideas or are we working towards the same things? What are we both doing? We're both just trying to make our way through life. We're both trying to have a good time. We're both just having fun. What are we? And there's a line there which is, what are we as in you and the person you're contemplating? And what are we as in you and all human beings? So this one can apply in an ever expanding or narrowing field of what are we? You can say this about a a group, you can say this about a community. Do you know how to sum up your community very well? What are we? What is this community? What are the things that we all stand for, that we all go for, or that we're all united by? And that can be a community or a group or an organization or a country. What are we? What, what is it in our country? What, is, what does it mean to be? Australian, Canadian, American, Indian, Italian, and so on. (laughs) They're just the ones that came to mind. (laughs) Sorry if I left you out. And it might be that, well, you ask that question and you think, well, I don't really want to be identified so much with my country because I have this idea of what it means to be a countryman or nationalistic and I can't really agree with it. And, well, there's a, more, there's a more complex nuance there. You can say, well, this is what I think most people think it means to be nationalistic. And this is what I disagree with about that. And this is what I wish it would mean to be nationalistic for my country. This is the, these are the values that I wish we could all embrace and that I would embrace. So there's a whole range of nuances that you can create there, that you can understand there. And that really inquires into your relationship between you and your country. What are we? What's your relationship between you and your community? You and your organization? And actually, you need to have a good answer to this question, what are we, for a community to exist? When it's not clear to people what a collection of individuals have in common, then the collective breaks down. And it's very complicated when you have more and more people involved in the same place. It becomes more and more difficult to find the commonality between us all. What are we as human beings? What are we as citizens of the earth? You can see how squaring that, you have to square all the cultures, all the perspectives, all the different levels of consciousness... All the different knowledges, all the different histories. You have to square all that and boil it all down to just a few things, just a few simple things. Where you say, what are we? Ah, oh, we're just friends. Ah, <laughs> oh, we're just work colleagues. We're just acquaintances. <laughs> so that's another one. That's another That's another koan. That's like a bonus koan. Now there is a little tangent we'll go on before we finish up and this one's quite fun. but I don't want to go too far down it because it can get <laughs> it can get a bit nuclear <laughs> for uh, let's say it can get a little bit explosive this one. <laughs> so we we've talked about these social sphere cons and it's been in relation to or uh, you just choose anyone out of the whole range of your life. Now, There's another category, which is you and your intimate partner. Now, there are leading questions, which are designed specifically for inquiring into your relationship with your intimate partner. And these can be done as individual contemplation, but they can also be done as a one-on-one. You can actually turn it into a sparring. You can turn it into a back and forth, which is the intrapersonal. Now, the inter the, the social sphere, the interpersonal skills that you have, that's separate to your intimate relationship, your private partner, your your soulmate, or whoever you're dating. So that's why we have different Questions or different leading questions, you can you can apply these. You could apply all these social sphere coans with your girlfriend or boyfriend. If you and me were the same age, if we had have met somewhere else, if you were my child, <laughs> can you imagine your intimate partner as being your child? The things I remember about you from long ago. What was stopping us? What is stopping us? What hasn't changed? What has changed? if this is the last time I see you. So you can see now when you put your intimate partner into all these, how how different, how much there's a very different energy there. There's an explosive energy. It's quite a, I'm feeling a little bit of a, whew, something is happening. <laughs> so that's why, well, that's why we say that the social sphere is different to your intimate relationship and let me just offer up let me just offer up one little thing that you can do with your intimate partner and this this is so deep this is so powerful this has to come with a big warning label this has to come with a use at your own risk use at your own risk label do not use without parental supervision kids well you're going to have to do it without parental <laughs> You're going to have to do it without parental supervision. So so here it is. It's, it's so simple. You finish the sentence. And the sentence starts off like this. You are. And you finish that off. And you say what someone is. And with your partner, you can take it in turns. You can say, you are this. You act like this. You think like this. You feel like this. In this situation, you're doing this. You always say this. And on and on the list goes. Because when your intimate partner says that, there are these things... Which come up that won't, when, when you say it to them or they say it to you, there are things that don't fit. There are things that jar with your self-image, with your ego. And you say, no, I'm not. No, you deny it. And there's a tension there. And you have to realize that your partner can see things in you which you can't see in yourself. And that really, that really is a, a very powerful key to a fast-growing, deep relationship that is poised for expanding awareness. When you really throw yourself into this with brutal honesty, saying what you really feel with a real accuracy and really facing it head-on, and you get into some seriously fast growth. And it's it's hard work. Because your intimate partner will say, you're an asshole. You're terrible. You always get this wrong. You're always overthinking. You're always being intellectual. You're always talking too much. You're never caring for it. You're not being sensitive enough. You're always distracted. You're always looking at other women or you're always looking at other men. You're uncommitted. You have a fear of commitment. And really confronting that can open up so many things. And it can make you very close with someone. Very powerfully close. And you can grow so much with them. And of course, it's not all bad. You can say, well, you're gorgeous. You are beautiful. I adore you. You're so playful. You're so intelligent. You are a very admirable person. You're a very good-looking person. You are wonderful to be around. You are wonderful to talk to. You are beautiful to look into the eyes of. And even in those things, there can be reactions. Can you believe that about yourself? Can you believe? How hard is it for you to believe that you are beautiful? That you are good looking? And the beautiful things, the positive things, can even be a cause of tension in the relationship. Because someone comes along who is just head over heels for you. And for some reason, for somehow, you see that this person isn't totally mad. They seem to be at least a little bit intelligent. Although you might start to question, is there something wrong with this person? How can they love me so much? How can they admire me so much? How can they feel so deeply for me? It might be that no one's ever felt that deeply before about you. and can can you imagine overcoming that as a as a stick or a, a a a tangle in your relationship and to really accept wow there is someone who loves me more than anything there is someone who really admires me and this person is not crazy they're not stupid they haven't got some st- lofty idea about me. They actually know the real me. And now that, that is a beautiful relationship. That is that is a flowering relationship. And one of the ways to get there is to together answer this koan. You are, or what are you? Or we are, what are we? Well what what are we was what we were saying before this is more that was one of the previous koans but what what are you or you are and you do it as a statement it's not a it's not a question of what are you it's me telling you what you are not me telling you what i am or me saying what i am and that, that can be a permutation. You can both say both say to each other, What what are you? and then you answer. So these are all just ins and outs and derivatives and backs and forths and and there's there's so much to it. There's so many different ins and outs that you can do. And if you're really sincere and clear about it, then it can open up it can open up so much. And it might be in order to be sincere about these inquiries, you need to do some formal practice. And it might be that you need to structure your, and I'm speaking very generally now, it might be that you need to structure your meditation practice and you might need to write down, okay, I'm going to do 30 minutes of if you were my child and I'm going to do it specifically for this person. And I'm going to do that for three days in a row. And then I'm going to do 30 minutes of if this is the last time I see you. And I'm going to choose this specific person. So write it down. Write it into your routine. Put some structure to it because this, this this is so dense. And this is one of the, the disadvantages of having these dense conversations here because there's so much information there's so much ins and outs that it might be that you're left up with, well, where do I begin? Which koan should I do? Or how do I do it again? And that's the danger of having dense conversations or deep conversations like we're having now. And the answer is, write it into your routine. And 30 minutes is all you need, or one hour, whatever, 20 minutes between 20 minutes to an hour. And you do it a couple of days in a row so that it's different things that you get into different depths different layers that you go through and choose a specific person now in the case of couples and live interaction well it might be that you need to you need to have a therapist or you need to have someone <laughs> there to work on things and you need to build a sincerity or you need to do a certain kind of session you need to do a, a counseling session or a, an awareness session or you need to do a group or you need to do some sort of festival or some sort of conference which talks about this. Now I don't know if, I don't know if conferences really help. It really depends on. I mean there's so many different varieties of conferences or, and festivals that depends what you're going to. But doing that can really open up to the ability to answer these questions sincerely so i think that's <laughs> i think that's enough to chew on for now if you and me were the same age if we had met somewhere else if you were my child the things i remember about you from long ago or the things from, from long ago that I remember about us and what was stopping us and what hasn't changed. And if this is the last time I see you, then I say, thank you very much for listening. And if it's comfortable for you to do so, sit down quietly, stop what you're doing, and we'll have a few moments to meditate together just let all these ideas percolate and bubble and just close your eyes, relax, take a few deep breaths and just sit quietly to notice your reaction to all that we've been speaking about today, to how you are in your body, in your mind. How your environment is. What you're feeling like you want to do after this. And just sit quietly and be patient. There's no need to rush. There's plenty of times for all the things you want to do after this. And just take a few moments to listen to yourself, allow your thoughts to go where they want, allow your body to relax, and just sit quietly for a few minutes, and that's all I have to say for now.